Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats presented by Mattress Firm. I am your host, Ben Verlander. And everyone, we have an absolute legend joining us today. Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez is joining us in a little while. 14-time All-Star, 13-time Gold Glove winner, which is a record for a catcher. He is a Hall of Famer. He's an MVP. He's a World Series champion. He's done it all. And he's joining us here in a few minutes. And I cannot wait for that. So stick around for that. Off the top, we're going to be rounding the bases with some storylines from around Major League Baseball. We're going to get to this week in Shohei Otani News, my favorite segment. And at the end, I want to go through some of the most underrated players that we saw this year. Top five most underrated players in all of Major League Baseball this year. But let's get into it, rounding the bases off the top. And first up, we got the St. Louis Cardinals. St. Louis Cardinals, as I speak right now, are on a 16-game winning streak. 16 games. As of a month ago, it literally seems like a month ago, the Cardinals had no shot at this. They were out of the playoffs. They weren't in the conversation. It was the Padres. It was the Reds. Um, and that was pretty much it, honestly. Those were kind of the teams that we thought were going to make it. The Cardinals have gone off 16 games in a row, which is the longest streak in Major League Baseball this year, the longest streak since 2017 when the Indians did it, and the longest National League winning streak since 1951. So what have they done? They've gone from 500... 500 on August 1st and seven games out of a playoff spot to honestly in the playoffs. I mean, there's no like mathematically it's not over, but they're five and a half games up. This is theirs. The Cardinals are making the playoffs after after it didn't seem possible. This stretch they are on is unbelievable. Harrison Bader is on another planet. Tyler O'Neill is killing it, and Paul Goldschmidt is, just continues to be one of the most underrated players in all of baseball. They have three guys on their team with over 30 bombs this year. Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Some of the games on this streak have just felt, I don't know, special? Like, I, don't, I really don't know another way to, to put it, to be honest with you. Like, they've been down against the Cubs by five-plus runs, and they come back and win it. They've done that. They've had multiple comebacks in this run. Look, this team, the Cardinals are going to get into the playoffs. They're going to grab a wild card spot. Who, who wants to play them right now? Nobody wants to play the Cardinals right now. That's how hot they are. 
which actually leads into our Twitter poll from this week. So if you follow Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter, uh, make sure you're doing that so you can participate in the poll that we do every week. And this week's question was about the St. Louis Cardinals. If the Cardinals make the playoffs, are they the most dangerous team in the National League? 61.3% said no. 38.7% said yes. So the winner of this poll is no, they're not the most dangerous team. Um, I, I'm going to disagree. Now, my prediction to win the National League is the Milwaukee Brewers. That's who I've picked to win the National League. But who is the most dangerous team? It's the Cardinals. How many times have we seen this with a team get hot, and not, never this hot, but how many times have we seen this? A team gets hot right at the end, they sneak into a wild card spot, and they just dominate. The Kansas City Royals, when they won the World Series, similar. San Francisco Giants have done it multiple times. Snuck in as a wild card, next thing you know, World Series champ. The St. Louis Cardinals have done this before. There's something about this, and, and I've talked about this a few times, and I truly believe this. The team that has the most to play for coming down the stretch, they just continue it into the playoffs. So it is not a foregone conclusion by any means that the Cardinals go up against the Dodgers in game one, which I'm predicting it's the Dodgers, not the Giants. Dodgers, Cardinals in the wild card game, and the Cardinals win that game. I know how good the, I know how good the Dodgers are. But you do not want to play a team like this. The last thing you want is to just have some time off. The Cardinals, nobody's playing better than them. So right now, are they the most dangerous team to face in the National League? Yes. I truly, truly believe that. So thank you guys for voting in this week's Twitter poll at Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter to participate in the show every week and answer our poll question. So thanks again for voting on that. Next up, heading on over to second base, the San Diego Padres. Man, oh man, what a disappointment. A disappointment doesn't even begin to, to explain this. It is, it's, it's a fiasco what has gone on in San Diego this year. Just for a reference, everyone has considered the Padres before, you know, within the last month, no longer. But for most of the year, the Padres were considered one of the best teams in baseball. Okay. As we sit here right now, the Padres are 78 and 78. By my math, that's pretty close to a 500 ball club, which is unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. This team has a superstar, a 22-year-old superstar, Fernando Tatis, making all the money in the world, who's put together an MVP-type season. I'm not saying he's going to be the MVP. I think that's going to be Bryce Harper. But an MVP-type season, you're paying Manny Machado all the money in the world. You bring in Blake Snell. You bring in you Darvish. Like, this team, on paper, is great. To be a 500 ball club, to not even make the playoffs is a fiasco. An absolute fiasco. So here's my prediction. This team stays basically the same next year, aside from Jace Tingler, who this is his second year as a manager. He won last year. Last year was a weird year. The Padres were good. They make the playoffs, lose in the playoffs. But he's a winning manager in season one. 
season two, up for debate. They could be a below 500 team. But one thing I, I truly believe is Jace Tingler is out after two seasons in San Diego because this is unacceptable. And I, it, not all the blame is on him. The pitching coach, uh, Ross Chow, got fired about a month or so ago. Um, so some heads are starting to roll. But there's going to be massive turnover, I think, on, um, on the front office side and, and on the coaching side. Jace Tangler's got to go. This team is too talented. When I look at this season, I can point to one, one time period. And to me, it's the trade deadline. This team was looking great. They, they were in good position. They, they were 90-some percent chance to make the playoffs, which is done not making the playoffs, but I look at the trade deadline. I truly do. I look at that trade deadline, and everybody says, what are the Padres going to do? This team is there. This team is ready to win. What are they going to do? Max Scherzer. Can we get Max Scherzer? They don't. They get Adam Frazier. Since the obviously postseason-bound Padres acquired Adam Frazier from, going, from the Going Nowhere Pirates on July 26th, the Pirates and Padres are basically the same, they have basically the same record. So they acquire Adam Frazier, who at the time was one of the best hitters in baseball, had the most hits in baseball. To be fair, he hasn't been great with the Padres. But that isn't, that's not the answer. Adam Frazier was never the answer. What were they going to do at the deadline? Everyone was talking about Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer. They, everyone thought we, they got him. Remember, we thought, we, we thought the Max Scherzer to the Padres deal was done. But it wasn't. They didn't end up getting him. I actually tweeted after that, they have to get a pitcher now. Guaranteed, they're getting a pitcher. They didn't. They did nothing. That is a failure. And ever since that trade deadline, it has been downhill, 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 fiasco, missed the playoffs, Tatis Machado fighting in the dugout, which, which happens but a fiasco, an absolute fiasco. The Padres, whose roster two, who roster two of the best players in the game, and Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado, will be on the outside looking in in October. Their collapse is, quote, one of the worst in recent Major League memory. 6 and 15 in September. 6 and 15. For a roster with all the talent in the world, 6 and 15 when the game started mattering the most. So when I say this season is a fiasco, it's because I can't think of a description that is that is acceptable to use, but this is this is worse than a fiasco. This is a nightmare. And heads are going to roll this offseason. I truly believe that. So like I said, I think the roster is going to stay fairly similar. I think Jace Tingler is out. I think they have some front office shakeups to do as well. But a disappointment from the Padres, but the future is bright, I believe. I truly do. I really like the way this team is set up. I think Tatis is a star for a long, long time to come, and I think the pieces are there. So I think the future is bright. But I just think uh, the, the people leading the way, that has to change a little bit. Uh, but moving on to third base, the Chicago White Sox. Now, let me state this about the Chicago White Sox. I have, and my predictions that I came out with about a month ago, the White Sox in the World Series. So let me, let me explain this. The White Sox are coming into the playoffs. They're, ju they're just rolling it. 
They're just rolling into the playoffs. Just a nice, leisurely stroll. They're playing an easy division. I get that. The division's been wrapped up before the All-Star break. I get that. But one thing that we seem to forget is how good these guys are. I mean, let's, let's talk about the rotation, for one. You have two guys with a sub 2.8 ERA, Carlos Rodon, Lance Lynn. And then you have Lucas Giolito, who didn't have the best first half of the year. His ERA is sitting around 3.5, but he's a great pitcher. How many times have I said this? Pitching wins in the playoffs. These guys have it. They have a rotation. They have a top three dominant rotation. They have Craig Kembrell and Liam Hendricks at the back end of this bullpen. And then you have the offense, full of star power. Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Yosemite Grandal. It goes on and on. So I feel like the team that we, I, I feel like this is a team we should be talking about more as a threat in the playoffs. Because everyone says, ah, they, they don't play anybody. They, they, you know, when they do, they're not winning games. Look. This team has been one of the best teams in baseball all year. They have a roster built to win in the playoffs. And they've proven they can win big games. Look, I know it was one game. I'm going to point to the Field of Dreams game in Iowa. I know this was one game. But let's not undersell how massive of a game this was. I know it was one of 162, but it was more than that. It was bigger. There were more eyes on that regular season game than there have been in, in over a decade. And they were part of it, playing the New York Yankees on a huge scale. And they went in and played one of the best games that we have seen in a regular season in a long, long time. They belong. Not only do they belong, they are built to win. So do not count the Chicago White Sox out. They're probably going to play the Houston Astros in round one. Do not put it past them to win that series. I have them predicted to win that series. I have them in the World Series. I have a a Brewers-White Sox World Series because um, I believe in them. I really do. So don't count this team out just because they're in a bad division. That's my point here. This is a World Series team. It really is. I believe that. But let's head on over to home. Round and third heading home. We got to talk about it. The AL wild card race. This is the best thing going in baseball. Best thing going in sports. I'm a little biased. Best thing in sports right now, AL wildcard race. Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, and the Mariners. Got to talk about them. So where, wherever we sat a week ago today, we're no longer there, okay? What happened this week? The Yankees and the Red Sox play each other. The Yankees sweep them in Boston at Fenway Park, a sweep propel them to first in the wild card. So now spot number one in the wild card is held down by the New York Yankees. Spot number two is held down by the Red Sox still. And one game back, one game out of that, is the Toronto Blue Jays. Mariners are a half game behind them. You know, most of this conversation is going to be about those top three, but we, you can't have an AL wild card conversation without the Mariners anymore. I'm tired of saying the Mariners are still there. Don't forget about the Mariners. We're not forgetting about the Mariners. We're not. It's incredible. Run differential, not great. Fun differential, great. In playoff contention, yes. Mitch Hanniger, incredible, yes. Watch their games. 
it's great. But they are in fourth behind these other three teams. And, and, and it is, they, they all play each other this week. They all play each other. Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays and Red Sox. The Red Sox actually have the easiest schedule remaining. The Red Sox play the Orioles and the Nationals. Um, the, the Blue Jays play the Yankees, and then they have an easy final series. I think it's, like a, I think it's against the Orioles. Um, the, the, the Yankees have the toughest remaining schedule here. So, look, I'm going to stick with what I said over a month ago. Yankees, Blue Jays, I said it here on this show. Producer Conrad came out here and said, what's your prediction? And I said, Yankees, Blue Jays. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with it. But this AL wild card race, tune, tune in every single night because it's getting intense. It's getting fun. It's getting electric. It's the best thing going in sports right now. You heard it here. A little biased? Yes. Wrong? Nope. It really is. It's the best thing going in sports. Uh, it is super exciting. And speaking of super excited, I have the chills. I have the chills getting ready for this conversation with an absolute legend. I mentioned it off the top, all of his accolades. He's got all the accolades in the world. But one thing that is for certain, this man, Ivan Pudge Rodriguez, is a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer on the field, and he's a Hall of Famer off the field. So let's get into the conversation with Ivan Pudge Rodriguez. Pudge, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to be with you, and uh, uh, good to be with you. I appreciate that. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you to start off was growing up as a kid in Puerto Rico, I feel like the game at that time wasn't as big. There weren't as many players in the big leagues when you were a kid. So what was the baseball scene like there at the time as, as a kid when you were growing up? Well, when I grew up, I started playing baseball at the age of seven. Uh, and basically, you know, like what you mentioned, you, uh, you right. Uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of big leaguers at the time. Uh, obviously, we we had Roberto Clemente, which is uh, is our hero in Puerto Rico, and and he's a hero in baseball in Latin America. And Orlando Cepeda also was uh, uh, part of that group, and a few more. Uh, but baseball was uh, kind of big still in Puerto Rico, you know, little leagues and uh, and local leagues in Puerto Rico. Into uh, later on, you know, we we start to uh, uh, play a lot more baseball uh, and just focus more in the in the baseball side instead of the, the having the volleyball and basketball. Which is I don't know if you guys know, but Puerto Rico is really big in volleyball and 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 big in basketball. And so a lot of a lot of these athletes start to focus a lot in in the game of baseball. Uh, I was one of the the guys that I play multiple sports uh, when I was little. And then I start to focus a lot in the game of baseball, become a professional and, and, uh, and sign at the age of 16. Wow. So how were, you, how were you able to watch Major League Baseball as a kid? Was there anyone, like, was there anyone you liked watching or anyone you grew up idolizing? Yeah, we, we, we had some games in Puerto Rico back in uh, when I was little. We watched a lot of Cincinnati Reds, uh, Reds Machine game then in Puerto <laughs> Rico obviously uh obviously because uh well even though that Tony Tony Perez is from Cuba yeah. but Tony grew up pretty much in Puerto Rico uh he uh, he left uh, Cuba at a very early age and established himself in Puerto Rico and 
And and we we all, we always say that the even though that he's Cuban for us he's uh, he's from Puerto Rico <laughs> and the reason that we watch a lot of uh, Cincinnati games because him obviously uh, a lot of San Francisco Giants because uh, Orlando Cepeda uh, Pittsburgh the Pirates because obviously Roberto Clemente I didn't have the chance to to see him uh, right. because he passed away in, in 1971. And that's the year that I born. Uh, but my father, you know, used to see him a lot. Uh, but yeah, you know, back in my days when I was playing Liberty, I watched a lot of Cincinnati Reds uh, games at home. So growing up a Reds fan, I assume you were a fan of Johnny Bench. What did that mean Absolutely. to you? In 1999, Pudge, you won the American League MVP and became the first catcher since Johnny Bench 27 years before that to win an MVP award. What did that mean to you? Well, it means a lot because, uh, man, he's my favorite player growing up, uh, even though they, uh, they, we are uh, in the Hall of Fame and obviously uh, all the awards that he has uh, also, uh, but he's still my, my, my favorite player. And, and in 91, just be able myself to do that. And uh, he was there also in the ceremony and and presented, it was uh, an unbelievable feeling to me. And I remember that uh, that I told him, you know, in front of him, you my hero, you my favorite player, even though that, awesome. you know, that I'm having a great career and and we, you know, I was having some great seasons and uh, uh, basically just tie gold glove with him. I always say, you know, it doesn't matter what happens <laughs> in my career, but you're going to be my hero for life. That's awesome, man. Uh, one of the coolest things for me is that obviously you got to catch my brother later in your career, but my brother's idol is Nolan Ryan. And your rookie year, you come up as a 19-year-old, and your task at the time is, hey, go catch Nolan Ryan. What is that like as a 19-year-old to have to catch one of the best of all time? Well, uh it was a it was a great moment. I I catch my second game that I catch in my in my career was uh, Nolan. My first one was Kevin Brown. Uh, my first game that I catch and mm -hmm. I remember uh, uh, when when the second day came out, you know, came on, and I went to the ballpark. You know, when I was sitting with Tom Howe, which is this was uh, he was the pitching coach at the time. Yeah, uh, and Bobby and Bobby Valentine. We we sit down in Bobby's office and to go through the scan reports, and and I remember that Nolan came in like five minutes later and sit down, and I would start to uh, talk to Nolan about you know how we're gonna work the 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 guys you know the whole lineup, and just right out of the gate the first the first batter that I was explaining it to him he just say punch stop right there. And we're not going to go to anything. Forget about this current report. The only thing you got to go is just go behind the plate. And you're going to go and you're just going to put fingers down and I'm going to throw it to you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I looked to Tom House and he looked at me and he said, well, that's what he wants. So when the game started, obviously, I was, uh, I was nervous, obviously, catching uh, a Hall of Famer, a guy that, you know, can be my father 
right now. I mean, <laughs> talking about a 19-year-old, Nolan was 46 years old, oh uh, 45, God. 46 at the time, and uh, just me be able just to uh, to be behind the plate and call my own game and not checking me up much. Uh, it was it was a, a privilege to me. It was uh, one of my best games that I catch in my career, just be able uh-huh. to catch him for the first time and and him not checking me out that much. And we he ended up uh, winning the ball game, pitched seven innings and did a great job with me behind the plate. It was a it was a great moment. That's so cool. You were probably you probably start the game. Like, I'm gonna throw it. He's gonna shake me off all game. He's gonna be pissed off at me. I can't do anything right. He's well, I, I know Ben. I know Ben what he throws. Obviously, I'm putting number one all the time. <laughs> he didn't have to, have to do much. Two or three. So, <laughs> you know, I, I you know, the, 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 the one thing that I know is the Nolan was a almost 87, 88 percent fastball pitcher. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, make my job easier to put number one. And he loved <laughs> to pitch inside uh, when he was uh, pitching. So, basically, the majority of the of the pitches that I caught was passball inning. So he just changed the sign to a changeup or changed the sign yeah. to a breaking ball. He's, so he's clearly, and he's known as a very fiery guy. And you were actually behind the plate for one of the most famous brawls in history when Robin Ventura goes out there. At 21 years old at the time, Pudge, what was going through your mind when Robin Ventura took off for Nolan Ryan on the mound? Well, I was kind of like in shock that he just uh, he just did that. Basically, it, it was expected to happen anyway because uh, 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 Robin did uh, something that the makes uh, Nolan Ryan uh, mad when we play in Chicago the series before uh, he slide really hard in second base and hurt one of the guys uh, that we have and Nolan uh, I remember that he went you know he went up to the stairs and start to just you know uh, talking you know I don't want to say the words here because it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> good ones uh, but uh, but he was uh, waiting to happen, and he knew it. And, you know, that game came out uh, here at, at the old Arlington Stadium, mm-hmm. and the first pitch just kind of like, you know, he threw it, and he missed it, and then he charged to the mouth, but he did it. He really did a mistake. He just <laughs> he just ran into, into Nolan's, uh, you know, on the round right here, and he just killed him. <laughs> <laughs> He really did. It was if I was there, I was, I was right behind him, and he was, he was, uh, it was impressive <laughs> to watch. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, Pudge, in, in my opinion, and I don't say this lightly, I, I truly believe you are the best defensive catcher of all time, and there's a lot of other guys that are in that category, but that's my opinion, and uh, you have the most gold it. gloves to back that up. How important to you? was defense growing up or is that something that you just kind of evolved and said i want to focus on defense as you got into major league baseball well ben to me defense to me was my priority in my in my game uh, i always put a lot of pride on it working out doing the things that i gotta do uh before the game my my preparation before the game was totally to 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 have a great game uh, uh behind the plate uh, 
uh, one of the things that that I always that tried to focus a lot was you know trying to call a great game for my pitchers and have a great uh, relationship with my pitchers. So to me, you know, doing that make my job uh, a lot easier because when you communicate and you have that communication with your pitching staff when you're starting pitchers or the guys in the bullpen, uh, you pretty much know and have an idea what we're going to do. And uh, especially when when one of the pitchers want me to throw somebody in second base going out, I need a help from from them. So those are the things that that the communication is very is very important. And 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 I did that I did that a lot. You know the, the relationship that I have, even though that I play every day, and I have to do a lot of things uh, uh, during the game. But I always you know take my time just to go and sit down and. Uh, or before the game and have a conversation with them because we we kind of like a family. Obviously, all 25 players are families, you know, in the clubhouse and or in the baseball season. But the catcher with the pitching staff is just is is a little different because it's 11 guys that we need to stay close together and have the same mentality. Uh, uh, together so when we go out there we we have an idea what we're going to do there's been a record number of no hitters this year um and you're you're no stranger to catching those my brother's first one being one of those um and and i always i i always have a soft spot for this because i actually remember a conversation you had after catching my brother's no hitter where you said i just i just wanted to get back out there for the ninth i didn't care about my last at bat i just wanted to get out there and finish off the no hitter Talk about a little more that relationship with a catcher and a pitcher during a no-hitter. There's been a record number this year, and in my opinion, the catchers deserve a lot more credit for some of those than, than people perceive. So tell the average fan how much the catcher is involved in a no-hitter. Well, basically, the catcher is, is involved pretty much in, in, in the majority. Obviously, we, we come to the ballpark early, and we study – uh, some we read some reports and go to the video and write our our own report and then from there we go to the pitching coach and the pitching coach doing the same work than I do uh, before the game mm-hmm. and then we just uh, put it together to show it to the to the pitcher uh, when before the game uh, but when when um, when we are in the game and and we working in a non-hitter, basically something that you don't pay attention much. You know, we just we just in the rhythm of, you know, calling great game, the pitcher is throwing good pitches, you know, I call fastballs away, and the pitcher throw fastball right what I wanted, breaking balls in the right spot, things like that. Kind of like, you know, the name said, when you throw a, a non-hitter, a perfect game is perfect game it's just not missing anything yeah and so that's basically what i what i think i don't talk much when that happens i leave the picture alone the majority of the time right and obviously the position players leave the picture and myself alone they don't (laughs) they don't talk to me they don't talk to the picture when that happened, obviously, 
their job is just to be as ready they can be in any pitch because obviously the ball can be hit to them at any moment, right? And they got to be ready. But basically when, when you start to realize uh, when the when the pitcher is getting a non-hit is probably by the fifth or sixth inning when the mm-hmm. fans start to get excited. And we look at the scoreboard and say, oh my God, we, you know, we are throwing a, a, you know, a non-hitter. And that's what things start to get a little more anxious or more tight. And the less the, that I talk to the pitcher, the, the better, <laughs> you know, you can ask, you can ask Justin when we did the, when we did the, non, the, the, the non-hitter, I didn't talk to him much, you know, uh, during the game because obviously we have such a great rhythm between right. me and him that basically is no need for me to go and talk to him. You just keep doing what you're doing and uh, and make the guys make the play. And obviously, when you do, when you throw a perfect game and don't hit it, it's, it's, it's a lot of great plays happens on the field. Yeah. And and when Justin threw that perfect game, you know, you can see that game that guys make some great plays in the outfield, you know, diving plays to the left, diving plays to the right, and guys, you know, fly balls deep, make great plays. All those things, all those things happen. And when those things happen, you know that something special <laughs> is going to happen. And that's what happened that night with your brother. Yeah. And so – the way you got to Detroit for me is fascinating. In 2004, you make the decision after winning a World Series to at the time sign with a franchise that, to be honest, just wasn't very good. And Jim Leland has said before he gives a lot of credit to you for changing the organization around. What went into that decision for you? What made you believe in that decision to go to Detroit? Because I was I was having a great belief that the that the Tigers team is going to be great in a couple of years. Um, during the free agency, uh, uh, Dave Dombrowski also co- uh, calls uh, Scott Boris, you know, my agent at the time, and uh, and say to myself and to Scott in a, in, a, in a phone call, and if I sign, he was promising uh, me and, and that Tigers that we're going to be uh, in the World Series in, in two years. And basically, my God, that's what he did. Uh, you know, I was the first one signed. By the way, I'm going back a little bit. When when I win uh, in 03 uh, with the Marlins, mm-hmm. that was the same year that the Tigers lost 116 games. I know. Okay? I went, I went, and I went, and they lost 116 oh games. Oh, my so God. During the free agency, what I signed, even my family tell me, say, Ivan, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You are going <laughs> to Detroit? I think they lost 116 games. And I say, yeah, I'm going to Detroit because that's that's the team that I like. A young team, good pitching, a pitcher, a, a, a pitching staff that they need someone someone like me behind the play that they can work with them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, using my experiences uh, as a catch for you know 13 years at the time that I have 14 years and I think that's what the pitching staff on the Tiger needs at the time so I got there and you know we we having an okay season and then 
the following year, we start to sign guys like Maglio, uh, uh, Placido Polanco, we trade uh, Carlos Miguel Guillen Cabrera, we Carlo, Carlo Guillen, and then we we become a a a team, and nobody can can beat us. And then the the, the fans in Detroit, they always been there. Brand new ballpark, beautiful ballpark to play baseball. Great place to throw strikes because the ballpark is super big and just make the guy play, make plays in the outfield. Well, it, it literally did not take long. It 2006, um, which was a really cool moment for you. Two years later, the Tigers win the AL pennant. I have a cool uh, picture I want to show you from, uh, from 2006. Uh, which was a pretty cool night for myself, by the way. But what, <laughs> what did that night, uh, what did that winning the AL pennant, what was that night like? What, what did that mean to you for two years later when everybody was telling you you're crazy for signing in Detroit? What are you doing? Two years later, you won the AL pennant. How awesome was that? Well, that, it, it was awesome. It was awesome, Ben, because that was really a, 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 a team effort. Since, uh, since that year when we started and a couple of years ago. And, and I remember then doing the celebration. Uh, we was in the clubhouse after we just, you know, been outside uh, with the fans, uh, throwing champagnes to all the fans and all that. And then we came in. And I remember that one of the first guys that came and gave me a hug was they... Dombrowski. And they Dombrowski looking in my eyes and said, do I tell you in two years we're going to be here? <laughs> we, we're gonna... And, and I said, you, you damn right, sir. You did, you, you did it. So no, they said, thank you for taking the chance. Take, you know, thank you for being here and say yes, then you know, come with us and sign. And then uh, that was kind of cool from him. You know, uh, a GM come and say that and not forgetting the what he told me in two years and then you know we just we just having a great team and you just got a a team that you know all together you know uh on the road at home families i mean you 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 there i mean you can you saw you know the wife and the, the, all together we did so many things together with their families and all the teammates and all that, that that's one of the reasons that, that, that we win. And, and a lot of fans doesn't know that part of the, that part of the behind scene that we mm -hmm. have, but families are important for us in, in, in our careers. And especially when we winning, you know, also the, the families, they're, they're excited and they're celebrating like us. So it's, it was a, it was a totally, completely team effort from from our coaching staff, you know, uh, players and families and all everything from office that we get it done. Yeah, and and you got to take a picture that night with a 14-year-old Ben Verlander, which I'm sure you're very proud to be able to do. So uh, I know, I, and I and I and, and you was really wet doing that, that, that picture too. from the champagne. It got all. <laughs> it was a night I'll yeah. never forget. Um, so a couple uh, career moment sort of questions I want to ask you uh, that, I, that I like to ask guests that come on. And the first of them would be, what was, like, what was your welcome to the big leagues moment that happened to you? 
Welcome to the big league. To me, was a, a, a 19, 19 year old kid with a dream, right? With a big, with a big dream, and not expecting to be in the lineup, and got into Chicago, and I was there, and 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 I have the the, the chance to tell you that I that I hit my first major league game, and it was a game winner to RBI to me. That was. A, that was a great moment. Never forgot that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, you were a 14-time All-Star, so played in many, many All-Star games. Is there one that stands out as being memorable to you? Yeah, the one in 95 that we play here in Arlington, obviously. Uh, when, you play, when you play as a home team uh, player in the All-Star game, it's always nice. The standing ovation was unbelievable. It was it was kind of like more than a minute and just just be able to to be part of that ovation that just you know took my hat a couple of times to the fans and uh and just play a great game you know i threw two guys out including barry bonds <laughs> he was trying to steal me it's still my show <laughs> in the all-star game and i was able to throw him out in second base it was kind of nice. You threw a lot of guys out. Is there one guy that was like, you're like, who was the one guy that you just couldn't throw out to save your life and it pissed you off? Couple of guy, a couple of guys, Kenny Lofton mm -hmm. and Roberto Alomar. But it was, it's not because they're, there's really smart base, base runners. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they, they pick the right counts, uh, you know big jumps and it's hard when they get a big jump to 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 throw him out but for some reason those two hours uh, it was nightmares for me all right if you had to if you had to pick what are your the top five pitchers you've ever caught who would they be well your brother is one for sure um uh, i say nolan ryan's two i say uh uh Kenny Kenny Rogers. Oh wow. Kevin Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown and one of my good friends, the a lot of people a lot of people we don't talk about him, but he was a great great pitcher was Jose Guzman. Oh wow. I love that list. That's really cool. Really cool to hear you uh Pick my brother as well. Actually, before before we hopped on and started recording, you said I needed to tell something some to Justin about you wearing glasses. Now, what was that? Well, I just wanted to say to your lovely brother, which is my brother too, that I was using this, but I want you to know that when I was catching you, I was wearing this. So this is because I'm going to be turning 50 years old <laughs> in a month. So that's what happened. And you are going to be the same way coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I'm sure you watch a lot of baseball now. I know you're still around the game a little bit. If there was one pitcher from today's game that you could catch, who would it be? One pitcher right now. Well, um, I would like to catch Shohei. Tony. I mean, I just yeah, wanted, that, I just wanted to see how how it looks, how his pitches looks from from behind the plate. I I can see it. I can see from from my view as a fan, right on TV, 
and what I'm in at the ballpark watching the the splits the the he throws to me that never seen something like that and in my era that was one of the uh, primary pitches the pitches throws the split but this you know when you throw a split like that and break almost a foot a 92 mile an hour wow I just I just wanted to see that behind the how that how that moves yeah I um I'm a big fan of his and I, I talk a lot about him on this show I have my own segment about all about him um so talk a little bit about what you see from Shohei Otani. You talked about his pitching. To me, his preparation behind the scenes to be able to pitch and hit is the most impressive thing um, that I've seen in a long time in the game. Talk about uh, what Shohei Otani is doing this year and how great this season is. It's, 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 it's a special. To me, it's, it's impressive to see what he's what he doing. I mean, I don't have an idea. You know, the player that he is and, you know, what they they say about him because last year, you know, a couple of years he's have been doing it. And last year he didn't play much because obviously he didn't pitch because of Tommy John. But now that he's healthy, my God, he just got like unbelievable. He just fun to watch. I mean, he just hit another home run yesterday uh, to be, you know, to be right there on top America League in home runs. And, and just to be able to do that, uh, but, you know, pitching, he has a great, you know, great year in winning and losses record, ERA, strikeouts, uh, all that. And offensively, you know, I mean, unbelievable, you know, hit for high average, you know, close to 100 RBIs, you know, close to 50 home runs. And he also, we need to talk about his speed as well. I mean, yeah. he is really fast too he you know the thing is that i think the manager stopping not to run but but if, if they give him a green light it might be 40 40 due to me as well because it's really really fast uh but it's impressive to see that it's just impressive to be able to pitch and be the lead off guy at the same time uh it's fun for baseball it's fun to see that i hope he can stay healthy for for a long time. Obviously, is a he's a star. He's a superstar for Major League Baseball, and we want to, we want him to stay healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of staying healthy, there there's a catcher right now. Um, I had a Royals player on recently, and we talked about Salvador Perez, and he talked about how if he didn't get a little stomach virus that he got earlier in the season. He was going to play 162 games as a catcher. How right. much? How impressive is that? Uh, what has to go on behind the scenes for a catcher to prepare? I've played with so many catchers that couldn't play four days a week because they had to ice their entire body. To play 162 is insane. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to use myself on that, but it reminds me like me when I was. Uh, when I was uh, playing, I mean, I was, I love to play every day. I always come ready to play every day. I was hating the, you know, not to be in the lineup, and, you know, and that's, that's, that's him. And, and talking about uh, MVP type of numbers, he's one of the guys that for me, it could be, it could be the MVP. And he's been putting some numbers 
you know, we're talking about Shohei, we're talking about Guerrero and some other guys, but, you know, when you, when you have that kind of numbers offensively as a catcher, it's not easy to do. Yeah. Okay. That's not easy to do because you got, you, you got to do so many other things, uh, uh, before the game, like go to the B-Rib and study, like all the things that I just mentioned to you earlier, that offense, offense is the last thing that you do, you know, when, yeah. when you have the ball fight and just go out there and, and, and hit for average and, you know, over, over a hundred BIs already, you know, leading, you know, it just, you know, pass Johnny Bench with the most home runs in yeah. one year by catchers. I mean, you're talking about great numbers. He has some, some great numbers. And to me, I think Major League Baseball and the media should start talking about him to be an MVP. I, 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 I truly agree. Um, and, and speaking of great numbers, before I let you go, um, you are one of those with fantastic numbers. And your good friend and former teammate Miguel Cabrera is approaching 3,000 hits. One thing I wanted to ask you, you finished your career 156 hits away from 3,000 as a catcher. That is incredible, insane, any adjective you want to use. Was there any part of you that wanted to hang on to get 156 more hits to reach 3,000? <laughs> ben, I've been, I've been asked by that question a lot, but hey, um, the only thing I can tell you, I have a great career, man, and just, you know, 21 years of baseball is, is beautiful. I play with six great organizations. Uh, they give me all the, you know, everything, all the respect that I respect, and, and me, vice versa. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it was beautiful to hit 3,000 3, hit, but, I mean, over over twenty eight hundred hits. That's a lot of hits, anyway. By for man. you know, for a baseball player. But uh, but hey, no no regrets. I I'm happy. I'm great. I mean, we I did everything that I could to to win ball games, and basically, the numbers are there. My career is there, and I'm very I'm very pleased with the career that I have in the big leagues. Yeah. Uh... Before I let you go, one more thing. If you were commissioner for a day, I asked this question to everybody, so I'm not letting you off the hook here. If you're commissioner for a day, all right, what is one rule that you would take out or implement for the betterment of the game of baseball? The the one rule that I probably that I probably take out is the man on second base when we go to extra innings. I think that is I mean, uh, we all big leaguers, we all major league baseball player, and we know what we need to do to score one run. There's no need to put a man in second. <laughs> I love that. Well, uh, you know, you just talked a lot about um, you talked a lot about your career and and how you know it, it was awesome, man. And and I I truly mean this. You're a Hall of Famer on the field, and, and I met you when I was 14 years old. You're a Hall of Famer off the field as well as a person. I Thank truly you. mean that. Thank you. Um, you're, you're, you're awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I'd love to have you on. If, if you ever want to come back on, you're always welcome on this show. I appreciate it, Ben. Thank you for having me. Uh, say hello to your beautiful family, your brother, and, and uh, God bless you, and good luck to you in the show. I will. Thank you, my friend. 
All right, I wanted to thank Pudge Rodriguez again for joining me. I had, I had the chills that entire conversation. Hearing him talk about catching Nolan Ryan, being there for the Robin Ventura, Nolan Ryan headlock, why he went to Detroit and ended up catching my brother there. Incredible. But one thing that really stuck with me is what he said about one pitcher that he wants to catch in today's game. And it was Shohei Otani. Which leads me into my favorite segment this week in Shohei Otani News presented by Mattress Firm. So talk to an expert and unjunk your sleep today. But let's get into it with my favorite segment this week in Shohei Otani News. We're going to talk about an underrated part of his game, his speed. We're going to talk about a dominant pitching performance. And we're going to talk about a quote that he had that's going to hold a lot of weight in the Angels' future. Let's get into it. And let's talk about his speed. This past week, he had two triples, two RBI triples for the Angels in the same game that now tie him for second in all of baseball in triples. We talk about his pitching a lot. We talk about his hitting a lot. But his speed is so underrated. It really is. We had Joe Musgrove on the show just a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about facing him. And one thing he said that stuck with me is, Look, one thing that's not talked about a ton is how fast he is. This guy's huge, and he sound, he's like a freight train coming down the line. You don't even hear him, and then he's just there. Shohei's a big human being, but he is so fast. He has 24 stolen bases on the season, tied for the second most triples in all of the league. Look, I've talked about how many times he's getting walked lately. He gets walked a ton. But that's going to cut down soon. One, because he's going to get more protection. But two, just because of how, how fast he is, all the stolen bases he's getting. Walks are going to turn into doubles for him. They really are. Walks are starting to turn into doubles. Just because he has 24 on the year, he could have way more. He has elite speed. Look at this tweet. Players with 45-plus home runs, 20-plus stolen bases, and 6-plus triples in a season. Shohei Otani this year and Willie Mays in 1955. Willie Mays and Shohei Otani. That's it. 45-plus homers, 20-plus stolen bases, and 6-plus triples. It's remarkable. But he, he really is walking... At a, at a crazy clip, and I called this, unfortunately, at the All-Star break. I said, I really, I want him to continue and lead the league in homers, but I don't know if he's going to get pitched to enough. And he really hasn't. He's been walking at a, at a crazy level. Check out this tweet. In the last 50 years, the only MLB players with 10-plus walks in a three-game span are Shohei Otani, Bryce Harper, and Barry Bonds. 10-plus walks in a three-game span. 10-plus walks in a three-game span. Nobody is pitching to him at this point. You watch their games, it's just like, you, you, people are going to watch Shohei, and he's just, he's just walking. Um, but yeah, it, it really is a big part that we're not talking about. Look, when you talk about how many times he's getting on base, how many times he's walking, he's in the same conversation as Barry Bonds. When you talk about how well he's hitting, he's in the same conversation as Babe Ruth. And when you talk about how fast he is, he's in the same conversation as Willie Mays. Every part of his game is elite. 
Think about if he decided to focus on one single particular thing and do it. He'd be, I mean, he already is one of the best of all time, and this season's incredible. But it, if people make careers out of stealing bases, and he's doing that as well as anybody. People make careers out of getting on base, and he's, he's walking as, as much in a span as Barry Bonds. Like, it is incredible. He's also in elite categories when it comes to his pitching, when it comes to how well he's pitching. And he did it all again this past week in a big game for the Seattle Mariners, a big matchup for them. They come out ready to rock and roll. He comes out in what could be his final start of the season. He may end up getting one more, maybe, and it might be on the last day of the year. But this may have been his last start of the year, definitely his last start at home. He threw seven innings, he struck out 10, and he threw 112 pitches. Career high, 112 pitches. Just another dominant outing against a good baseball team that is honestly all or nothing at this point. But dominant. He has been dominant on the mound this year. And at home, unbeatable. So he's, un he's almost unbeatable. At he's almost unbeatable when he's on the mound, which is crazy to think about. He's thrown, he's had 23 starts this year. 23 starts on the mound. He's lost two of them. Think about that. 23 starts on the mound. Two of them are losses. Remarkable. Honestly, truly incredible. Speed. Hitting. Walking. Pitching. He's doing it all. Another pitching stat. Shohei Otani is the first Angels pitcher to reach 150 strikeouts in a season since Andrew Heaney in 2018. He's punching guys out. A big thing for me with him on the mound is he really, really, really cut down on the walks. That, that's been the difference for him on the mound, is he's cut down on the walks. The strikeouts have stayed the same. The splitter is the, splitter is the best pitch we've seen in baseball since he's come into the league. Truly remarkable. Truly remarkable. So in my opinion, honestly, it's not even, it's, it's not even my opinion. There, there's a stat we, we, we showed previously of all the pitchers that have thrown at least, of all the pitches that have been thrown at least 400 times by everyone that has been in the league since Otani joined, his splitter is the best pitch in all of baseball. Remarkable. Truly remarkable. So we've talked about his speed, how many times he's walking, all the stolen bases, his pitching. Look, I said this from the beginning of the year. Shohei Otani is the MVP. Shohei Otani is the MVP of this league, without a doubt in my mind. But he was already named the MVP of the Angels this year, the team MVP for the Los Angeles Angels, as well as the Nick Adenhart Award winner, which is the pitcher of the year. <laughs> so for the Angels, he was named the team MVP and the pitcher of the year. This is what I, and this isn't a brag, we're talking about high school here. This is the, this is the award I would get in high school. <laughs> best pitcher and hitter. It's a high school, like the best player on the team wins that in high school. People don't do that at the big league level. 22 pitching, he's 9-2 with a 3.28 ERA, 45 home runs, 24 stolen bases, 75 extra base hits, 96 runs scored, 95 RBIs. He could very well get to 100 RBIs if he has a good last week of the year. Angels team MVP and pitcher of the year. Look. Incredible. 
and, and, and they're not winning. They're not winning games. As incredible as this is, the Angels aren't winning. And that's a problem. A problem that Shohei actually spoke up about. Look, I, I love the Angels. I, I want to be here. But most importantly, I want to win. Now, he's under contract through 2023. So two more years remaining. But his quote, I really like the team. I love the fans and the atmosphere as a team. But more than that, I want to win. That's the biggest thing for me. I'll leave it at that. That's a pretty powerful statement. That's a pretty powerful statement. Mike Trout also spoke up. Joe Madden also spoke up. Trout said, hopefully we go out there and get some big guys. That's, hopefully we go get some big guys. That's Mike Trout, the best player the game has seen in a long time. Hopefully we go get some big guys. The manager, Joe Madden, this can't continue to go on. The Angels can't afford to wait to win. They can't afford to wait to win. Why? Because you have Mike Trout, you have Shohei Otani, who's having arguably the greatest season we've ever seen, who's under contract for two more years. You don't have but so much more wiggle room. The Albert Pujols contract, gone, off the books. Make something happen. Go get some pitching. Go get some pitching other than Shohei Otani. The offense is there. In my opinion, you have two years to figure this out, or you're going to lose a once-in-a-lifetime talent. And you don't want to do that, to say the least. You don't want to do that. But you could. You could lose him. I love that he stepped up here and said, look, above all else, I want to win. I love the fans. I love everything to do with the Angels. I want to stay here. But above that, above all of that, I want to win. And they have next year and the following to figure it out. Because you have this year's MVP. You have, a, you have an, a guy that was hurt this year that is an MVP every time he steps on the field. You have those guys. Win while you have them. It's frustrating as a fan of baseball to not see them winning. I'm so happy to see Shohei speaking up and saying it's time to win. The three biggest guys there, Shohei, Mike Trout, Joe Madden, all speaking up saying it's time. Their GM has said, you know what, we're going to spend some money this offseason. We're going to go get some guys. And that's what they're going to do. Shohei deserves it. Mike Trout deserves it. The Angels fans deserve it. And I can't wait to see what they do. Because Shohei Otani is a once-in-a-lifetime talent that is going to be this year's MVP. He is already the Angels team MVP, already the Angels pitcher of the year. Just an incredible season and another incredible week for Shohei Otani. And that does it for this week in Shohei Otani News. All right, so this is the last episode of the regular season. So what I wanted to do for this segment is name some of the most underrated players that we have seen in all of Major League Baseball this year. So not only the top five most underrated players, but I also wanted to talk about some teams that are most likely going to miss the playoffs that I think have a good chance to do so next year. So let me bring out my producer, Conrad, who I'm actually surprised showed up today after I beat him by 13 strokes on golf the other day. But alas, he made it. He is here. So Conrad, come on out, my friend. All right, Ben. Let's get this going. Uh, number five, Brandon Crawford. Yeah, Brandon Crawford won the year the Giants have had. Incredible. Uh, nobody saw this coming. Predicted to win 75 and a half games. They've won over 100 games. And he's the shortstop of this team. He's hit over 300 on the year with 23 bombs. 
this is the Brandon Crawford uh, of old when when they were winning World Series back in 2012, which cuts deep. Uh, that was against my brother's team. Um, but Brandon Crawford is back. He's hit over 300. W what a year for him. Yeah, number four, friend of the podcast, Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker coming up on 30 bombs this year, hit uh, hitting 291. I mean, he's close to 330 bombs. What like? I mean, you guys talked about this, yes. his off-season workout programs. We talked about his off-season. We talked about him bulking up. We talked about a lot of the changes he made. And, you know, at the time, he wasn't hitting great. Um, he was starting to hit better. And then, like, to, to, to look at his full-season numbers at this point, uh, 291, 28 bombs, and he's not even, he's not even a top four or five talked-about guy on that team. He's, he's really on that team a super underrated guy. So one of the best years and one of the most underrated years in baseball. Absolutely. And then we have Tyler O'Neill, number I, three. Yeah, I, I love Tyler O'Neill. He's already over the 30 home run mark, 32 bombs, um, 281 for the Cardinals, who are, who are the hottest team on the planet, the hottest team on, on, on earth. Like what, what they're doing is special 16-game win streak, and a lot of it is because of this guy. I feel like in those 16 games, he's hit 16 bombs. I know that's not the case, but... Um, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it's if it's over five, which is which is crazy. So Tyler O'Neill certainly an underrated season. Coming in at number two, we have Cedric Mullins. 30-30. 30-30. 30 guy. First Oriole in history to go 30-30. home runs, 30 stolen bases, and an average pretty close to 300, 299, you know, and by my math, pretty dang close. Um, what a year. This guy's an all-star. Um, the, the coolest thing to me is that he used to be a switch hitter and this year he decided to stop doing that and just hit left-handed and he's had an all-star year 30-30 first Oriole in history truly an incredible year and the reason he is so underrated is because of the team he's playing on if this, you know he's playing on the Orioles who aren't good um, so they're not getting talked about much but what, what a year yeah coming in number one we have Austin Riley Austin Riley over 300, 32 bombs, 100 RBIs. When Austin Riley came up as an Atlanta Brave, he, he set the world on fire. He, was, he seemed like an all-star third baseman for the future of the Braves. And then he, he scuffled there for a little while. But you saw the potential. And, and man, this was the potential. He's a young guy hitting over 300 at the hot corner, 32 bombs, drove in 100 runs for this Braves team where he's not even talked about much. Look at those numbers. Man. Did you know he had those numbers? I, I did not. I yeah. found out last night. It's crazy. And, and we just don't talk about it. Um, so Austin Riley, in my opinion, even more so than Cedric Mullins, who was kind of close. It was a toss-up. The most underrated season in baseball. So truly, truly an incredible year. Um, so Brandon Crawford, Kyle Tucker, Tyler O'Neill, Cedric Mullins, Austin Riley. Uh, one I wanted to mention before we move on to, to potential playoff teams next year is Marcus Simeon, who I, I feel like we know he's having a great year for the Blue Jays, but I don't feel like people know that the year he's having is arguably just as good, if not better, if you look at war, better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Marcus Simeon. I mean, 42, 43 bombs. Um, incredible and and Vladimir Guerrero gets all the talk of the Blue Jays rightfully so he's a stud is he is, is he back in Toronto next year um I he's a free agent but. how do you how do you not how do you not um they have some money they need to spend elsewhere to 
I, I, this, it's going to be a tough one, man. They have money. They need to do some stuff with the pitching. But Marcus Simeon, who is an honorable mention on this list because I, I, the year he's having is a top three MVP year, so it didn't feel right to put him on the list. But I don't think people knew it's a top three MVP year. Uh, neck and neck with Vladimir Guerrero. So wanted to mention him with the other guys. But, Conrad, let's talk about um, some teams that I think are going to miss the playoffs this year, but I think are a team to watch out for next year. Yeah, let's start that list at number five, the Detroit Tigers. You know I love me the Detroit Tigers. I always, always have a soft spot for them. Um, grew up around them, played for them for five years. Some of my, some of my really good friends still play for that team. Um, but they are not on this list because of those connections. They're on this list because what A.J. Hinch has done with this team this year, with the roster they have, is, is remarkable. I mean, it really is. I know that's a big word, but it truly is. And, and next year, they're going to get guys like Torkelson and Green coming up. The offense is going to come. They're going to add pieces. I can't sit here and tell you right now that the future for the Tigers is next year watch out their world series candidate next year i don't but they're a team next year uh look the second half of this year they're the best team in that division yeah which is crazy um so watch out for the tigers next year i, I truly they're heading in the right direction and next year is going to be fun and then coming in at number four those seattle mariners yeah we you you're a mariners fan uh, an exciting year for you certainly we talked a little bit about them at the top of the show when we were talking about the al card race they are still in this. A lot of fun. They're still in this, which is, which is remarkable. They're a game and a half out as we sit here right now and talk about it. Um, and, and nobody saw this coming. As a Mariners fan, did you see this coming? No, I never. I, this year was a wash year. I thought next year was the year that we had all the young pups come up this year, yeah. get a little playing time. Next year we'd be better for it. Uh, and this has been a very surprising year. That's, that's what I thought. I thought this year was... I don't know if I, you used the word wash here. Like, I was excited to see. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs. I was excited to see what guys like Kelnick came up and did, uh, what Gilbert would come up and do. And they've, done, they've been more than impressive. Kelnick has shown in the last month or so how good he is going to be, I mm -hmm. believe. Um, I, this team is going to be fun for a long time to come. I've been saying it for months on this show, 2025 World Series champions, Seattle Mariners. Uh, but I think they can get in next year. They're going to add some pieces, and they're going to be fun. I just can't wait to watch Julio Rodriguez come up next year. Another guy, yeah. And number three, we have the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah. Now, now before, before everybody starts saying they're the same team every year, they're going to – look, Shohei Otani, my best friend, he's going to be back. Mike Trout, going to be back. Anthony Rendon, going to be back. Justin Upton, we'll, we'll see. But – the offense is there. You know who's not going to be back? Albert Pujols. And that's a big, this is a big thing for them because they have money now. They have a lot of money freed up that they can add to pitching. Just throw it all at pitching. Mike Trout is already trying to court Max Scherzer there. I don't know if that's going to happen, but throw all the money at pitching. I mean, they can't spend any more on hitting. You can't. And they don't need to. This team is is ready and and we just talked about it in in the last segment Shohei has said I just want to win I just want to win 
And, and that's kind of eye-opening for a franchise. Look, we could lose this guy. We could lose a once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime talent if we don't start winning. So some money's freed up. I think they're going to spend it on pitching, and I think they're going to be a really good team next year. Yep. Coming at number two, we have the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, now this one is assuming that they don't somehow overtake the Braves, which is a possibility. They play each other uh, for the division, basically, this week. Uh, but But... They're behind right now, and I my prediction is that they're not going to make the playoffs. But I, I like the Phillies. I really do like this team, and they're another team. I think you go out and you just spend all the money you have on relief pitching, every single dollar of it. <laughs> I like. I think the offense is good. I think Bryce Harper is an MVP. I think you have some good top-of-the-line starters. I think you need another couple rotation pieces and some pitching, but this team is is really good. Um, and, and I like them heading into next year. Coming in number one, we have the San Diego Padres. Yeah. Fiasco of a year this year. Um, but very good. And, and I, I feel like this is different than a few years ago when they spent all that money and then blew it all up after it didn't work. This is different. They got their guy, Fernando Tatis. They got the pieces around him. They have a pitching rotation. Um, I, I like this team. I, I, I think Jace Tangler's gone. I think they bring in a new manager, and I think this team is a force to be reckoned with last year. And, and I know I predicted that this year. This team's going to be really good. I thought they were. They were up until a certain point, and then it just all blew up, every single bit of it. But I think next year's different. I think they changed some things around, and I think the Padres end up being a playoff team next year. All right, Conrad, thank you for joining me, my friend. This is the last episode of the regular season it's crazy the regular season's done last week last episode uh, but i do want to talk about our playoff schedule this next episode we're doing will be a playoff special we're going to go over the whole bracket i'm going to give my playoff prediction all the way up to who's going to win the world series but we got a lot of exciting stuff coming up for you heading into october we're going to be doing a bunch of live shows live analysis on anything and everything you guys could possibly want. So stay tuned. I am pumped up for October. I hope all of you are. But you're going to get everything you need right here on this show. But before we finish up today, a little extra inning segment. I want to talk about Joe West. I don't want to talk about Joe West, but he's forced us to talk about him. Red Sox and Yankees played this past week. Um, obviously, we talked about that. We talked about the Yankees sweeping. But Joe West came front and center again. There was a massive, massive, massive missed call. Um, Aaron Judge at the plate. Foul ball. Foul tip into the catcher's glove. Holds on to it for a good while. Goes to throw it back. It falls out of his glove. Foul ball. Foul ball. Now, that's the wrong call. That's the wrong call. He struck out. He was out. Next pitch, or a couple pitches later, two RBI double into the gap. Changes the course of this AL wildcard race. Now, let me, let me state this. That's a tough call to make. I'm not specifically just talking about this call. I'm just talking about how consistently we find ourselves talking about Joe West. How consistently? When you see a missed call in baseball, you pretty much know who it is. There's two guys, Joe West, Angel Hernandez. What are we going to do about it? Well, one, Joe West is retiring. 
But two, what are we going to do about it? Umpires are not being held accountable. Something like this legitimately can change the course of the AL wildcard race. They get out of this. They get out of that. Aaron Judge strikes out. Giancarlo Stanton comes up, who then hit a home run. He's walked. He never sees a pitch. So it just becomes tough to watch. I tweeted this right after it happened. I'm sick. This AL wildcard race is the best thing going in sports right now. Leave it to Joe West to screw it all up. <laughs> but I, it's, not, it's, not like an, it's not an understatement. It's, not, it, it's true. And it's tough to see. We need to do better. We need to hold umpires more accountable. Joe West is retiring. He's not going to be a problem. But it, it also led to a whole other conversation. That dropped third strike, that held on to third strike, why can't that be reviewed? You look at the list of things that can be reviewed, that's not on it. You can't review that. Why? What I wanted to talk about is Joe West and the umpire in this past weekend series and how he just is screwing some calls up. And it can't happen. We can't be doing that. It's changing the course of the AL wildcard race. But he is retiring after this year. Good old country Joe. He's retiring. But that does it for this week in Flippin' Bats. Guys, make sure you're subscribed. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Apple, rate it five stars. Check it out anywhere you listen to your podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The episode comes out via video every week on YouTube, so check us out there as well. And this is the final episode of the regular season, so that does it for this week's episode, and we will see you next week for a playoff preview episode as we head into October for this episode of Flippin' Bats. See you next time. It's a blowout. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real he swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate.